The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The Jewish people observe three great religious festivals each year. And one of those, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, every fall includes an invitation for Christians to participate. And that invitation is found in the 14th chapter of the book of Zechariah. It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, our ministry has been fulfilling that divine call to come up to Jerusalem every year since 1980. And at our latest feast celebration, we enjoyed some terrific teaching that we want to share with you now. Hello, I'm Christine Darig. The opening event of our ministry's Feast of Tabernacles convocation this year was held in historic Christ Church here in Jerusalem's Old City. This beautiful Anglican sanctuary is the oldest Protestant church in the Middle East, an area dominated at the time by the Islamic Ottoman Turkish Empire. And what a delight it was to have one of the best loved and admired rabbis in the United States to share with us. South African-born Rabbi Daniel Lapin is a best-selling author, a rabbinic scholar, a frequent guest and commentator on TV, and he has his own radio podcast and the rabbi heads the Alliance of Jews and Christians. He's affectionately known as America's rabbi. Uh, my first sensation, however, is one of enormous relief. Relief that we are here in Jerusalem. I was certain that the location of the event was going to be moved to another city. I suspected Kwagadugu, which as you know is the bustling metropolitan capital of Burkina Faso in West Africa. Because now that the United Nations, whom we all take so seriously, has decreed that neither you nor I have anything to do with Jerusalem, why should we meet here? Let's go to Kwagadugu. I was relieved that the schedule was retained and that we were actually going to meet right here in this church, built in 1849, largely stimulated by the British as part of their mission of spreading Christianity around the world, even into the hostile reaches of what was then the Ottoman Empire. In 1849, it seemed highly unlikely that anyone other than the Muslims would govern Jerusalem forevermore. The Ottoman Empire was at its strength in 1849. Who would have thought 
that today school children around the world would have trouble knowing what the word Ottoman Empire even means. And so here we are, all together, Susan and I here, because Christine and Peter had the audacity <laughs> to tell us to come here. And I don't know about you, but I've discovered in a short period of time that one violates a command of Christine's at one's own risk. So God bless you both and, uh, and your ministry and all your holy work. We're honored to be with you. And uh, it is the city to which you have all, at considerable trouble and considerable expense, have traveled here for the holiday of Sukkot in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, in fulfillment of the words, for they shall all go up to Jerusalem. The holiday of Sukkot that brings you here is a time of great joy, time of great happiness. You've picked such a wonderful time to be here. Leviticus 23, for they shall celebrate Sukkot in their booths for seven days and rejoice. Deuteronomy chapter 16, and you shall all celebrate with great joy the seven days of the holiday of Sukkot. But that's all very well. That's Leviticus and that's Deuteronomy. But where is the first mention of Sukkot? And for that, we go all the way back. Does anybody know? Christine, do I really have to stop now and do some remedial Bible? <laughs> Folks, if you do want to get out of here on time tonight, you are going to have to work with me just a little bit. First time... Jacob, exactly. Genesis chapter 33, verse 17. And Jacob arrived in Sukkot. And he named the place Sukkot. So let me see if I understand this. <laughs> Jacob arrived in, this is like you, right? You arrive in Jerusalem, and at your meeting here this evening, you all get together and you decide... Why don't we call this place Jerusalem? Well, well done, folks. That's what it used to be called. Jacob arrived in Sukkot, and he named the place Sukkot. Wow, really? How did you come up with that name? What's that mean? A careful examination of the text, and I immodestly like to suggest that everybody needs a rabbi. <laughs> and I humbly submit my candidacy. Because if you examine the Hebrew text, there's something rather notable. And that is, when Jacob arrived in Sukkot, it's spelled Samach Kaf Taf, three letters. But when it says, and Jacob named the place Sukkot, it's got a letter of God's name. The letter Vav is added into the Hebrew word. Samach Kaf Vav Taf. Whoa. Something happened between the time it always used to be known as Sukkot and the time Jacob renamed it by his presence there. 
Now, lest you think this is a little bit of rabbinic smoke and mirrors, let me assure you that is not the case at all. For in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse 23, the ch did I say Deuteronomy? The book of Numbers, forgive me, chapter 13, verse 23, the Israelites arrive in the valley of Eshkol, and they named the valley, guess what? Eshkol again. But when the valley was called Eshkol, it was just Aleph, Shin, Kaf, Lamed. But when they renamed it Eshkol, it had the extra letter of God's name, the Vav, inserted in there. That's the pattern. Let me explain by means of a dining room table that Susan and I have owned for many years. It's the table around which not only the Lappin family has sat over Shabbat dinners and festival dinners year after year, but it's the table at which we have welcomed thousands of guests to our Shabbat and festival meals over the years. I must tell you, that table sings to me when I wander around my house alone in the quiet hours of the night, I invariably find my footsteps leading me to the dining room, and I sit down in my customary seat at the head of the table, and although the room is empty, I see a glow coming from that table. I see the happy faces the joyful songs, the animated conversation, and it all flows out of the oak surface of what appears to be an inanimate object, but no. Human beings doing important things with inanimate objects impart spiritual qualities to those objects. God forbid on the other extreme, anyone who's been in the, uh, in the real estate business, particularly in the residential real estate, knows that when you have the job of selling a house in which something horrible and terrible took place, you don't even disclose it before the wife, invariably it's the woman, not the man. You're showing them the house and you're about to tell them there's a wonderful view from the master bedroom and the wife is already dragging her feet and she's whispering to her husband and you know the sale is gone. Women have greater sensitivity than men to these things, and she feels something ominous in this house. She feels something sinister, because human beings, by their actions, impart spiritual significance that can be felt. It's palpable. It's real. When Jacob arrived in this nondescript place called Sukkot, it was just a place. But once he arrived and built an establishment there and planted his family there, it was a totally different place from then onwards. Now it was Sukkot with God's name in the word. And when the children of Israel came to Eshkol, it was just a place. But once they camped there and the tabernacle was erected and worship took place, that Eshkol was never the same again. Ladies and gentlemen, 
with great sacrifice of time and energy and money, you are here. And you are going to derive an enormous benefit from your participation in the moving feast of exploits ministries. You will. But what you may not have realized until this evening is that what you impart by your presence is even greater. What you do to the city of Jerusalem, to the land of Israel and all its people by your dedication, by your presence, by your walking the streets and worshiping, by your participating in the feasts of Sukkot, you leave an indelible mark. It is as if you are essentially renaming. You are presenting the land, the very stones upon which you walk, with a new identity linked to your dedication to your devotion, to your worship, and to your dreams of deliverance and redemption. It is a wonderful time to visit. It's a time of rejoicing and celebration. It's a time to be happy, but why? Is it just a time to put on funny hats and have a drink or two and dance? There's something much deeper than that. We're told that it is a time of rejoicing and celebration for a very specific reason. Not that it just is that automatically, but that through our energy and through our love and through our rejoicing, we add to that. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47, we have the terrifying words. We've just read an awful list of dreadful consequences that will befall Israel if it ever betrays the covenant with God. And what does that mean, betraying the covenant with God? In chapter 28, verse 47 says, if you ever wondered, if you ever wondered why this horrible catalog of calamity should ever strike Israel, it'll, it'll be... It'll only be because you failed to serve the Lord your God in joy and happiness in exchange for all the good he has brought you. And that is our task for the rest of this holiday, ladies and gentlemen to make sure that we add to the joy and the happiness and that we serve God in hope and enthusiasm and in confidence, bringing forth from deep surging springs of joy that happiness that is the key to bringing good things in the future. Failing to serve God with joy has dreadful consequences. Conversely, the blessings we all eagerly await can be accelerated by adding to the joy. And it is truly a privilege and one that I carry with me and Susan and I cherish for us to have the honor of rejoicing over tabernacles, over the holiday of Sukkot with all of you here in Jerusalem. God bless you all. That was Rabbi Daniel Lapin, 
sharing with us during the Feast of Tabernacles in historic Christ Church, Jerusalem. Rabbi Lapin is encouraging a greater understanding of the roots of our Christian faith through his organization, which is called the Alliance of Jews and Christians. This great movement of Jews and Christians and the melting of hearts toward one another is truly something that would have been almost hard to imagine just a couple of decades ago. But today, the people of the book are discovering that we have much to gain by getting to know each other. And indeed, we owe a huge debt to our elder brothers in the faith, the Jewish people, for having preserved and given us these holy scriptures and revealing so much to us about God's character and life instructions. And of course, the Jews have given us the Holy Family and King Messiah himself, Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in Bethlehem. Well, as many are recognizing, truly it's a new day for Jews and Christians. And this is because trust is being built up again and we're able in the presence of each other to let down our guard and to join forces in a time when both Judaism and Christianity are being persecuted from one degree to another around the world. And the more that the United Nations and the radical jihadists seem to want to attack the people of the book, and I'm speaking, of course, of both Jews and Christians, the closer that we are coming together. Hallelujah. It's just a new day for Jews and Christians, and it's happening all over the world. And this very strategic Judeo-Christian alliance, I believe, is surely an end-time sign. After all, we must continually and with gratitude recognize that the Jewish people are indeed our elder brothers in the faith. They are surely our faith patriarchs. And we former Gentiles in the churches who have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, we are indeed, the Bible says, the spiritual seed of our father Abraham. When Orthodox rabbis share with Christians in a church setting, just as you've seen in this video, we see a demonstration of the fulfillment of the ongoing prophecy at the end of the Old Testament from the book of Malachi, chapter 4, in verse 6. And that chapter states that the Lord will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, our patriarchs, in the spirit and power of Elijah. And I believe the ministry of reconciliation has been going on not only throughout the entire history of the true church, but now it's especially an end-time mission and ministry between Jews and Christians and all those living here in the Middle East. Now, the word reconciliation implies that there's been a breach, a break in our relationship. Jews and Christians have been tragically divided for centuries and it's only been in recent history that we've been getting back together again. And it's so 
wonderful and what a privilege to be a part of this movement. Theologians teach that the ministry of reconciliation implies that friendship and fellowship once existed. But now, in the words of the psalmist, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The same God who would agree to spare even the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah if ten righteous persons could be found is still ruling on his throne and he can still be appealed to for mercy in this ministry of reconciliation and hope. But what's essential on the part of Christians is to fulfill our command from Jesus, not only in this ministry of reconciliation to the Jews, but to share the God of Israel around the world and to make disciples who will internalize and live by the Torah and the commandments that God gave us through the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. This righteousness is a quality we see lacking in many professing believers today. Some who once professed Jesus as their Savior are sadly today in prisons, or they're captive to bondages of drugs, pornography, mental disorders. They once made a decision for the Lord, but the truth is they never became disciples of the Lord. And I think you'll agree there's a big difference. And our Lord grieves over our greed, our unbelief, and our arrogance. Our Western nations were founded on Judeo-Christian biblical principles. But now, alarmingly, our school children are prevented from saying prayers and godless lessons are taught in the classrooms and books are put in their libraries that shouldn't be put there. And Bible preaching is seen as hate speech. Abortion is rife. And the love of many has grown cold, but not between Jews and Christians. And God is not abandoning us. The simple truth is our Western nations have abandoned God. And that's why he's been lifting his hand of protection. But thank God his mercy has not lifted altogether. But I have to warn you and the nations that because of the miraculous rebirth of the nation of Israel and the uh, regathering of the Jewish people and the recapture of their capital Jerusalem and signs of impending warfare, we're living on borrowed time in an extended period of grace. And soon the church age and the times of the Gentiles will be finished. And Israel, this nation, will be powerfully revived by God. And then he will restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel. Nearly 2,000 years ago, after Jesus was risen from the dead in this city, and just before he ascended to the Father from the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him. In the book of Acts, it's recorded, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he surprised them by answering that, first of all, they must preach this gospel as a witness to all nations. Well, basically, that has been accomplished. And now it is the time for the Lord to restore the kingdom to Israel. Hallelujah. So, in the remaining times of the Gentiles, we're urgently believing the Lord of the harvest, not only for a reconciliation between Christians and Jews, but to win at least a million souls through our ministry in the nations prior to the 
second coming of Jesus, because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's why we covet your prayers for the end time harvest in so many nations, especially where we go in Asia, where we hold many Bible congresses and outreaches, gospel outreaches, and teach our Hebraic roots. Daniel 11.32 promises that those of us who know God will be strong, not weak, and do exploits. So God is seeking sold-out intercessors and watchmen on the walls here in Jerusalem in the city of the great king. And that's why we need you. And we invite you to be a watchman on the walls and visit our website, exploits.tv, at any time, where you can click online to receive our internet version of our free color magazine that we call Exploits, and to learn also about our strategic prayer convocations that we hold at least three times a year here in Jerusalem. You can also request our weekly email of news and new videos on the subjects of faith, healing, Israel, and end-time prophecy. And you can watch these at any time. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark here in Jerusalem at our ministry center. Shalom. Well, if you're like me, you must feel absolutely overwhelmed these days with media. We have such a choice of hundreds of TV channels, thousands of radio broadcasts, and of course on the internet, things like YouTube. Do you know that YouTube gets a, an upload of uh, 300 hours of video every single minute? But the point is, with all of this media, very little of it has spiritual content or significance. And that's why we're here at the Jerusalem Channel, because we have a very important message to share with the world. Now, we've had over 5 million views of our videos recently, but almost none has been a supporter of the channel. So in order to continue and to grow, we need your support. If you're in the United States, we can give you a tax deduction for your donation. In the UK, we're a registered charity for gift aid. So please consider supporting the Jerusalem Channel with a monthly donation or a one-time gift. To make a gift, visit our website at JerusalemChannel.tv and click the Donate button. You can also write to us in the U.S. at Box 2768, Stanton, Virginia, 24402. In the UK, our address is Box 109, Hereford, HR4, 9XR. Thank you so much for being a part of this end-time ministry to the world.